The deeper Christian life is no deeper than that of the clear teaching of God's Word. It is not a mystery withheld from anyone, but made known to all who will listen and obey. Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. May Christ lead you deeper into Himself today as together we explore God's Word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. The Bible says that God alone is holy. This holiness is depicted for us as a consuming fire. God is a fire of unapproachable and inconceivable holiness. The only thing that can be in fire and not be destroyed is fire. And so, God places fire upon his angels so that they may be before him and worship him. The Bible actually tells us that God makes his angels winds of fire. And God has placed fire on the Christian as well. When you give your life in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ... Jesus gives to you his Holy Spirit, who comes on you as the fire of God to wrap you safe in the blaze of God's own holiness so that you may, like the angels, come before him and worship. When your concern is to be before God and his holiness, who is this one who is alone holy, and your desire is to be in his presence, his fiery, flaming presence, and to be secure and safe there by the presence of his own fire within you. You are nearing the meaning and purpose that God has for you. Here's what we want to talk about this morning. There are three things I want to, points I want to make to you, and the first one is this. We've just said it. God's purpose is to confer upon you his holiness. That's the first point. God's purpose or design is to make you holy. That's where we read Romans chapter 1, and where we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where it says that we are called to be saints. It says God has put a call upon our lives, and it's this. He's called us, or He's given us a name that He's drawn us to, and the name is Holy Ones. It's God's design. It's God's purpose. It's intent. If you were to ask a person what they thought their calling in life was, if I were to ask you that, if we were to sit together and I said, listen, What do you think your calling in life is? You probably wouldn't give me a quick answer. You'd have to think for it a moment. You'd have to process it through your mind. And what you'd start thinking about is, what is the thing that gives you meaning? What is the thing that best fulfills your sense of purpose in life? What is it in your life that identifies why you think you've been put here on this earth? Well, that's my calling. That's what I understand my purpose is in life. Well, here's what the Bible says God has purposed for us, what God's calling for us is, what God's design for us is, is to be a saint, is to be a holy one. God has called us into a purpose. He is not just calling us to have an encounter with him. God hasn't just somehow planned and designed, and by the way, this is really, when it says called to be saints, it's putting into, it's kind of surmising and summarizing the whole design or purpose of God's saving work and God was not simply doing this in order to save us from our sins. God was not doing this simply so that we could get to heaven or so that we could live productive lives merely for the good of others. He wasn't calling us so that we could just be morally good people. He called us to be holy. He called us so that he could set us on fire with his own presence. He saved us in Jesus Christ so that we could be made burning flames that were drawn into his presence And so that we might have set upon us and within us the presence and the fire of his own holy self living within us by the Spirit. God saved us 
so that he could live in us his own holy fire and so that we may live in his holy presence forever and ever as holy burning flames. Again, that's God's purpose for your life. It's the call of salvation that's upon you. The Christian is called to be a fire with God's holiness. And let me just say something. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you believed in him, can I tell you, God has not failed in that purpose. Whether you know it or not, you're holy. You are a flame of the fire of God's holy presence in your life. You're a saint. You're a holy one. It was God's purpose in calling you in Jesus Christ. God fulfills and keeps his purpose. If God is sovereign and all-powerful, and he is, that's what he's done for you. And that's what you are. Here's the second thing I want you to consider for a moment. This holiness is more than moral goodness and perfection. And I don't want you to be distracted by some of the things I say here because you might think I'm minimizing being good and moral and moving away from patterns of sin in your life, but I just want you to understand something first, that holiness is more than moral goodness and perfection. It is the fiery otherness of God resting on you. We read in our scripture reading today, Isaiah 33. And if you read and you looked at it and you were to consider it, you'd see that really, in a sense, what's being portrayed there is a picture of individuals who are being drawn into the presence of God and actually being drawn into the presence of God's heaven. They're being realized in relationship with God, and in that realized relationship with God, they are having a view of the opportunity and what's awaiting them of having heaven come down upon earth and being in heaven as well. And so we read passages like this. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty in the land that stretches from afar. It's like Christ is going to be coming to you, or God in his majesty is going to come and reign before you, and you're going to see him in his coming as he draws down heaven upon the earth. Then in verse 20 of Isaiah 33, it says, Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode. I believe in the translation that was read to us this morning. It says, a quiet place. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode that shall not be moved. There the Lord, there Yahweh will be our mighty one. It's the picture of the redeemed man and woman being in the presence of the Redeemer as the Redeemer brings down heaven upon the earth and the Bible says one day that's going to take place. It's a glorious picture and a wonderful picture. and It's the describing of God enjoying His own and His own enjoying God's presence and enjoying Him forever in heavenly glory. And verse 14 of Isaiah 33 declares the condition of being before God. And the condition of being in his heaven by asking two questions. The questions are this. Who can dwell with consuming fire? Who can dwell with the consuming fire? Who can dwell with everlasting burning? There's another way to describe the king and his beauty. The consuming fire. There's another way of describing the holy city, the peaceable or the quiet place of heaven. It's everlasting burning. This is the holy God. He's a consuming fire. This is his holy city. It's a place of everlasting fire, a flame with the holy presence of God. And those who have been made holy ones are brought into this heavenly holy presence of God. Then they express out of their lives. That's what happens. That's the reality. And even now, what God has asked for us to do is express out of our lives something 
of that holiness and something of that fire and it will be expressed in moral excellence. And so the person who is able to be before that consuming fire and that person who is able to exist in that place of everlasting burning is described as a person who is morally upright. That's a part of it. It involves a moral excellence. But the moral excellence is purely the shining forth of the fire that God has set upon you of his own presence and his own life. Now, what I wanted to say here is this holy fire is something more than morality itself, though. It manifests itself in being morally upright, but it's more than that. It's more than that. It's something more than moral fitness. It's something more than perfection. It's something even more than the absence of sin. Let me illustrate this for you another way. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, you have the six days of creation. Each successive day, God adds to his creative work. And at the end of each day, it says that God saw that it was good. You'll have there God speaking and creating and making. These are the words that he used. God spoke, God said, God created, God made. And at the end of each day, it says, and the Lord said it was good. And basically what God is doing is God is describing the purity of his creation. Everything he makes is perfect and good. At the end of the day, there's no taint of sin upon it. There's no uncleanness within it. It shines with perfection that it arises out of from having been made instantly from his own pure, holy voice. And he says, this thing is good, and this thing is good, and this thing is good. And on the sixth day, God makes men and women. And God says over us as well, it's good. It's before Adam and Eve sin. By the way, it's interesting it says morning and evening is the first day. Morning and evening is the second day. Morning and evening is the third day. And then on the seventh day, something different takes place. It says on the seventh day, God doesn't make anything. It says God rested on the seventh day. And it says that he declared or made that day holy. That day was holy. It also says something interesting. It doesn't say morning and evening is the seventh day. You know why? I believe that seventh day is the day that God intended for his creation to live in and endure in, in a state of ongoing holiness, in which God is residing within it. Every day was good. Every day was good. The first day was good. The second day was good. The third day was good. The fourth day was good. The fifth day was good. The sixth day was good. Every one of those days was perfect as God declared it and created, perfect in every way. Every one of those days was without the defilement of sin whatsoever, perfect in every way. But none of those first six days were holy days. The holy day was the seventh day in which God rested, came upon it and rested in that day. God conferred upon that day something of his presence and his holiness. Think about that. If you think that you're going to be holy and fit for God because you're just going to try to extract sin from your life, which, by the way, is impossible, and you're going to be a really good and moral person, and that's your pursuit. You know, there are people that have innately built within them this desire to be before God, this longing to be in His presence, and this desire for greatness, and individuals pursue it in different ways, but one of the ways people pursue it is they try to be as good as they can. And they work, and they labor, and they think, if I can just be morally good, I can make myself fit for God. You're never going to make yourself as good as the creation was on the first day it was created. You're never going to make yourself as good as any of those six days. But even in those days, they were not holy days. Holiness was the seventh day when God rested upon it. That was God's plan and God's intent. And by the way, that day was marred by the sin of man. And it's God's purpose and God's design to bring us back into that rest, into the day 
and the day of his holiness where he rests upon it. And he offers that for the believer and the Christian when we put our faith in him. But that's holiness. It's something more than just trying to be morally good and trying to behave in a certain way. And God has made us with a free will, moral beings, who may or may not obey his laws. But obedience does not make us holy. You can be good and not be holy. Just as those six days were good days, but not holy days. God must confer upon us his life, resting on us to make us holy. And this is something greater than mere morality or ethical perfection. It is sharing the fire of God's life, his holy, awesome life. A person may determine to live as carefully as possible, seeking to be a moral person, an ethical person, following all the rules, and that person may succeed far above his peers in this effort, to the point of being a most politically pious individual. And by the way, they're in every party. They think they've maintained, through their commitment to their cause or their ideas, some piety, some righteousness in these ways, and they will be this. They will be Pharisees. People of a moral ilk may think they are outstanding and righteous, but they will not be holy. They have put their focus at the wrong point, and they've missed God altogether. Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. We are a listener-supported ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism. You can show your support for this ministry by going to breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll find a link to archives of our messages, and also there you can find a place to give through CPE to the work of this radio ministry or to our outreach work around the world. We do appreciate you. Now until the next time, God bless you.